First, we do now virtually know that the one clear uh, internal Russian critic, Yevgeny Prigozhin, will not be issuing any more judgments. But what might be the next instalment in the life of the Supreme Leader Vladimir Putin and the fate of his realm? More to the point, how much collateral damage might Australia, might Russia itself suffer during inevitable power struggles to come, to its governance, its people, to whether it even holds together as an entity we recognise? And remember, this is a country with many thousands of nuclear warheads, so the prospect of warlordism or chaos there surely preoccupies the West intelligence services as much as the Ukraine war. One Australian specialist in in Russian politics has delved deep into its complex history ever since he lived there as a young man in the turbulent 1990s completing his doctorate, the era that saw lots of post-Soviet chaos and the fateful handover of power from President Boris Yeltsin to Putin, which Robert Horvath believes was the crucial turning point. Without that, things could have been very different. I'll let him explain. He's a senior lecturer in politics at La Trobe University and fascinated by questions of Russian nationalism. Welcome to the program. Good to be here. For those trying to forecast what's to come, why is this handover from Yeltsin to Putin so important in your view? I think it was crucial because Yeltsin had alternatives. He had for some years indicated that his preferred successor was Boris Nemtsov, who was a genuine Russian Democrat, a liberal, someone opposed to violence and imperialist aggression. But at the end, when Yeltsin was facing corruption investigations into his own family, he decided he needed to be succeeded by someone who could protect him and and his family. And that person was Vladimir Putin. And largely everything in Russia that has happened since then was shaped by that decision. Um, Power is so concentrated that whoever is the president is going to have a colossal influence. And Putin's entire history before then was as a kleptocrat. He was deeply enmeshed in corruption, particularly in the early 90s when he was deputy mayor of St. Petersburg. And his presidency largely represents the unfolding of um, how a kleptocrat behaves when they acquire supreme power. You see it also as a distortion of Russian nationalism, that he's used this Russian nationalism, this incredibly strong sort of turbine um, in Russia, although there's a, you know, a counterforce as well, which is should they join Europe. But you see this as um, what he's completely applied. Now, is there any way back from that, would you say? I think there are, particularly when a war like this goes so badly and when the path of aggressive, violent nationalism and imperialism is discredited so spectacularly, that can be an occasion for a rethinking of what is best for the nation, what is the best path. It's also likely to have the effect of discrediting many of those promoted by Putin to celebrate the idea that Russia's destiny is as an authoritarian great power rather than as a democracy that is actually concerned about the lives and well-being of its own citizens. Have there been real chances, would you say, and you can go back 
you know, into the 19th century, if you like, as well as the 20th, have there been real chances for a different, more liberal approach that would be supported by enough of the Russian people? Russia's history is history, on the one hand, of a series of authoritarian rulers. On the other hand, it's a history of a series of missed opportunities. Um, There were the Reforms of Alexander II in the 1860s, um, a a reform process that was um, ended by his assassination and a a conservative backlash under his successor. There was the liberal movement of the late 19th century and the early 20th century, which um, produced the Constitutional Democratic Party, which was Uh, responsible for um, major reforms in the aftermath of the 1905 revolution and the emergence of a much more pluralistic Russia. Um, That was ended by the First World War and the Bolshevik Revolution. And um, Mm -hmm. most of those liberals were either killed or ended up in exile. Uh, Then there was the uh, Soviet-era dissident movement, which included many advocates of human rights who are still an an important part of Russian public consciousness today. Then there was the reformers of the the Gorbachev and early Yeltsin era, when there was a vast amount of civic activism in favour of the idea that Russia's future was as a normal European democracy rather than an imperial state. But none of these, dare I say, succeeded. They couldn't one way and the other, they couldn't prevail. That's right. They all failed in different ways, but they all remain part of the historic memory and they are a potential usable past. If the Putin regime collapses, if there's an attempt to restore legitimate political authority through elections and a new constitutional process, um, then Russians will be able to construct a new lineage of their democracy, which celebrates those voices who have upheld uh, democratic values and human rights. You've actually looked quite deeply, because it interests you so much, into the the sorts of conditions that have to prevail when countries do turn to democracy, when it hasn't seemed likely. Uh, Can you distill those for us, please? Well, I'd, I'd say there are two things that are really important. One is that there are democratic leaders who have authority, democratic leaders who are able to speak to a a large part of the population persuasively um, as advocates of a democratic future. And I'd say today people like Navalny exemplify that. Navalny is not someone like Putin who is seeking power for wealth and palaces and yachts. He's sacrificed everything and he's now in one of Russia's worst labour camps because of his belief in a democratic future for Russia. Do people know Uh, about that, by the way, just before, you know, does the average Russian know about this extraordinary story of Navalny? I think enormous numbers of Russians do. In every society, there are some who are completely disconnected from a political discussion, but the fact that Navalny created a national organisation. He was the only democratic activist during the Putin era who succeeded in getting out of the capital cities and um, Mm. creating a movement across Russia. 
And also the fact that his expose of Putin's corruption, um, the documentary A Palace for Putin, it's been watched on YouTube by something like 130 million people. That makes it by far the most viewed Russian language YouTube video in history. Look, I just, and I'm just, most of those are likely to be Russians. I just want to sort of, because you did sort of say to me earlier that in a way there are two things as, when countries shift. There's a uh-huh. shift when they're recognising the horrors uh-huh. of the past and they sure. they basically say never again will we uh-huh. be there. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And that, and secondly, or that we can do it differently. Now, that I just wonder... Uh-huh whether you think, I mean, does there have to be a complete collapse of these regimes you talk, this regime you're talking about or is there something in between? I think, well, the, um, the state doesn't have to collapse. The state can continue functioning. There can still be local authorities in provincial towns who are continuing to try to govern their municipality or region. On the other hand, the Putin regime definitely has to collapse. Um, As a kleptocracy, as a regime that's founded on the power of the secret police apparatus, change is impossible within the framework of the Putin regime. Now, um, that doesn't exclude the possibility that the regime will fracture and that some figures in that regime might become part of a post-Putin future. But the actual structures of the regime definitely have to collapse. Right. Look, um, there's a very interesting article that's just come out in Foreign Affairs by Andrei Kolesnikov, who I think is a very um, well-recognised Russian commentator. And he has this very interesting observation. At the end of earlier totalitarian phases, Russia has traditionally reversed course and he goes on to talk about Alexander II's great reforms, Khrushchev's de-Stalinisation in 56, Gorbachev's perestroika, Yeltsin's reforms. So, I mean, is it possible to dream or imagine that if there was some sort of collapse of uh, Putinism, that there could be, uh, you know, a different Russia emerge? Absolutely. I, I think the seeds of that Russia exist at the moment. Whether uh, that Russia um, will be allowed to germinate and flourish and um, grow is another question. But um, certainly there, there are a lot of people who've been struggling for a long time very hard against Putinism. There is Navalny's movement, which was um, uh, a networked national movement and although its leaders are in prison or in exile, the supporters, the the crowds of um, hundreds of thousands of people who over the years came out to support him, they are still there. They haven't forgotten what they experienced. Um, So there certainly is a social base for a movement for democracy in Russia. There's also um, the legacy of a, a lot of really important civil society in Russia. Um, The Memorial Organization, for instance, which combines investigations of the horrors of the Soviet past with human rights activism in the present. It's officially been banned, but its activists are continuing to work. Um, And it it certainly also has a major role to play in a a, a post-Putin future. 
Okay. Well, look, let's hope more of them emerge than, um, you know, different versions of um, Yevgeny Prigozhin. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Well, I, I suppose that is where one of the really big dangers lie. Um, the Putin regime has created a lot of violent actors and how those actors operate during a, a regime crisis, um, that's really one of the extremely unpredictable aspects of a transition from Putinism to something else. Is there any way, very quickly, observers from outside can assist the better angels of the natures to emerge rather than the worst, or not? I think one of the main things is to keep a spotlight on political prisoners in Russia, to keep a spotlight on those who right now are on trial um, for trying to defend human rights and for speaking out against the war in Ukraine. Um, there are a lot of brave people who are very vulnerable right now and the West needs to remember that um, these are a potential future if they are allowed to survive. Mm, a civil society seeds. Mm. Look, thank you very much indeed, Robert. Um, uh, it, it, it'll be fascinating to watch, tragically, possibly. <laughs> it'll have to take a little bit of time, but thank you for your time Absolutely. today. Thank you very much. Robert Horvath, he's a senior lecturer in politics at La Trobe University, and if you're interested, you get Foreign Affairs magazine online, Andrei Kolesnikov's piece, The End of the Russian Idea, is really well worth reading. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.